My name is Andrew Ingerson, and welcome to the premiere episode of my racing podcast, Racing English. Today, we are going to be talking about IndyCar, Formula One, NASCAR, and Pirelli World Challenge. And later in, and later in the episode, we have an interview with Porsche factory driver, Pat Long. Pat Long is one of the most successful North American race car drivers. He is currently the only American Porsche factory driver. He is the three-time American Le Mans Series champion, and also a two-time 24 Hours of Le Mans winner, and also a Pirelli World Challenge champion. And he was generous enough to take time out of his busy day to sit down and talk with me. The first thing on the agenda is IndyCar. The first, their season kicks off this weekend at St. Petersburg. And as far as, I, as far as preseason testing indicates, looks like it's going to be pretty much wide open. If any, the two favorites as far as teams go, Penske and Ganassi look like they're going to be on top just like last year. There's three guys who stood out last year to me, and I think they're going to be exactly the same. I'm talking about Will Power, Juan Pablo Montoya, and Scott Dixon. If I had to put my money on who was going to win, I'd go for Scott Dixon because he, as opposed to JPM and Will Power, Dixon has the whole has the whole Ganassi team behind him. He's effectively the number one driver, whereas JPM and Will Power, since Juan Pablo arrived at the team, they've been they've been fighting each other for control of the team. It and it came to a head last year when Juan Pablo pretty much had control of the championship in the last race, and he and Will Power came together in the final race, and that cost Will, uh, Juan Pablo the championship. So, I'm expecting those guys to really be going at it this year. I think the Penske car is definitely going to be faster than the Ganassi car, but I think th- I think the Penske car is taking they're going to be taking points away from each other and opening the door for Dixon and possibly some some other people that uh, are not obvious favorites might be able to steal the championship. The one thing I'll be watching for is um, if Andretti Autosport can make a can make a comeback. They really didn't run very well last year on the road and street courses. They had some solid runs on ovals, got only like got two one or two wins, but they they really struggled, especially with the new Honda Aero package. So we're we're looking to see if Honda can recover, and also they have a, they they have a new driver. I'm thinking it could be the wild card this weekend, Alexander Rossi. After his F1 career peter, petered out a few, uh, actually a few weeks ago, he was still in, in the running for the seat, but he lost it to Rio Harianto because of his um, government funding. So Rossi has come back to the states. He's gonna be he's gonna be very fast. We know that he was very good in his F1 in the F1 races he ran, and he was runner up in GP2 last year. So Rossi, it, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to the heavier car. But initial signs from preseason testing, he should be he should be right on the money. From what I heard, he was on the pace immediately, and he could be one to steal the show. Next, uh, Formula One. the the next The first race is on March twentieth, and the and they completed their last preseason test last weekend. So it looks like initial signs looks like Mercedes is still bulletproof on their reliability the cars run the car ran pretty much without issues they had, I know they broke down on the last day but wouldn't wouldn't be concerned about it they ran hundreds of laps more than anyone else but it looks like if anything Ferrari Ferrari really has stepped up the game I don't I'm not sure if they're going to be able to challenge Mercedes on a weekly basis but I think the gap's going to be closer like for example, last year they were only really able to challenge Mercedes on the weird weekends. They were able to they won in Malaysia when it was like 105 degrees. 
and they won in Singapore, which was on a really bumpy street course, and then they won in Budapest, which that race, the Mercedes crashed into a bunch of cars and had a bunch of mistakes, and that opened the door for Ferrari to take advantage. Preseason testing looks like the car's fast. They've definitely closed the gap. It's a, it's a radically different car, especially with the nose. So well, we won't really know because everyone has their own agenda in preseason testing. It's difficult to know who's, who's running what fuel level and, what's, and what setup they're running, how aggressive. But it looks, it looks like it's going to be close. I'd put my money on Mercedes, specifically Lewis Hamilton. He's, still, he's, pretty much, he's in his prime right now, and he's going to be tough to beat. But I think if, any, if anybody's going to beat him, Vettel and Ferrari are certainly going to be that right there. Also, from preseason testing, looks like Renault, the the highly publicized return to Formula One, looks like that might it might be uh, a rough year, it's a couple of years because they came back after after the end of last year. The team they took over, Lotus, had a solid season, not great. They they had a podium, they ran they were running in the points consistently, but they they had a Mercedes engine in the back, which is obviously the the best one to have at the moment and with the Renault takeover they've switched back to the Renault engine so they're gonna they're gonna be down on horsepower the car's not really it's gonna be less reliable and it, sh- it shows in preseason testing the Renault the Renault especially early on it really struggled to complete laps I think in the first in the first two or three days of testing it, it logged the fewest laps of anybody and but towards the end they were able to get the car running and even then the pace didn't look that the pace didn't look that great. One of the, the biggest surprise I think of season test of off season testing is uh, uh, the new Haas team, the new American Formula One team that is joining after this after they're joining this season. Their car the car ran well. It didn't run perfectly, but it ran really well for a brand new team. And also, once they got running, it showed decent pace as well. I expect it to be a midfield car and be challenging for points, uh, especially with the Fer- Ferrari. Really appear to have helped it. It actually, to me, it looks a lot like last year's Ferrari, which was obviously no slouch. I expect it to. It'll it'll be a midfield pack. It'll be a midfield car. I anticipate it be, to be able to challenge the Sauber as kind of Ferrari's development team. And they and also they have pretty they have a very strong driver lineup, so I, I anticipate them doing well. Another thing which surprised me is Manor. Manor have been basically bottom of the barrel for the last few years, and with the with their agreement with Mercedes, they have a Mercedes engine, they have a Williams gearbox. I anticipate them being a midfield car, um, challenging for points. They ran well over the off season. They didn't have that many mechanical issues. And they had, and they had much better pace than they've shown in the last few years, so and, and also they have pretty stellar drive, driver lineup. They have the, the previous they have last season's DTM champion Pascal Verline as part of a deal with Mercedes. He's going to race with them. He is re, he's one of the top young drivers at the moment. I expect him to run well. And also they have Ryu Harianto. Um, he's he is a pay driver in the Indonesian government. They spot, I believe the figure was fifteen million dollars. They paid him. They paid the team for him to race in F1. He's he's he ran well in GP2. He won a few races, but he's yet to prove himself as a heavy hitter and a and a week and a contender week in week out. And he'll definitely be looking to prove himself against Pascal Verline. Also in off season testing, we saw the debut of the Halo. Ferrari ran this on a few installation laps just to test the visibility of it. It's, bas- it's basically a ring around the driver's head designed to deflect debris. 
because there have been a lot of incidents lately where of drivers getting hit in the head with debris, and that's been the main safety issue of the past few years. This offers at least a temporary solution until they can figure out how to, and they can figure out the way forward. The thing is, though, there's a lot of split opinions. There's a lot, a lot of the experienced drivers like it because probably, probably most of the experienced drivers have had people have had friends killed in race cars, and they want to, they want it to be as safe as possible. Whereas most of the young drivers are not as experienced, they want it to stay pure and open wheel. And also, the the halo doesn't look as good, so that's gonna, that's I think that's the main concern. But especially Nico Hulkenberg was highly against was was advocating against, was advocating against it. He wants it, he wants the cars to stay open wheel or I mean open top. I anticipate it coming it becoming mandatory in 2017 and then over the next few years we're probably going to see a, a a full canopy probably to because this is going to be we it's it seems like this is going to be the next safety innovation which is going to come in the next few years because We've, since after Senna's death in 94, there have been a lot of work to slow the cars down, and that, that has gotten the job done for the most part. But especially in recent years, there's been, I think off the top of my head, Henry Surtees was killed in the Formula 2 crash when a tire hit him in the head. Dan Weldon was killed in the IndyCar crash when he was launched into a catch fence headfirst. And um, Jules Bianchi hit a tractor, and he, he took, and he, the, his resulting head injury was fatal. And then just last year, Justin Wilson was killed when a when a nose when a section of a nose cone hit him in the head at Pocono. So I think this is going to be the next big safety innovation in the next few years, and it's going to save a lot of drivers. And just rec- just recently, I think two or three days ago, it was announced that there'll be increased radio restrictions for for Formula One. So my understanding is the. the is that basically the form the F1 drivers are going to be are pretty much going to be on their own. The team is going to be allowed to tell them about hazards on the racetrack. They're going to be allowed. They're going to be told if it's there's oil on the track or or a stopped car. But for the most part, they're going to be on they're going to be on their own to the point of even deciding when when and where to pit, what tires they want, what and what sending settings to have the car on for fuel conservation and speed that sort of thing. Yeah, this this a lot of people are saying this is going to open up the door for mistakes and make it a lot more unpredictable because the drivers are already overloaded as is now they're get, now they're being asked to process a bunch of information. Toto Wolff, the boss of Mercedes, actually said he thinks Nico Rosberg is going to benefit from this rule most because he's very involved with the car and he knows what's going on, whereas Lewis Hamilton's more more of a wheelman. He just drive he mostly drives the car and lets the team do most of that stuff. So. It'll be definitely interesting to see if it has any impact on the competition. I expect it to early on, but once we get a few races under our belt, they'll get a feel for it. Next, uh, last weekend, NASCAR raced at Las Vegas. Brad Keselowski won the race with a late race pass on Kyle Busch, which surprised me because he didn't run. He he ran well. He was in the, the top five most of the race, but he he didn't he didn't establish himself as the dominant car, but. After this, after this win, because he was definitely the fastest right at the end. After this win, I think he might be the guy to beat, at least on the mile and a half tracks. Because when I, I was at the the Tex Motor Speedway race last year, at and that was a mile and a half. He didn't win that race, but he led he led three hundred of three of three hundred and thirty laps. So he was, that car was very good, very dominant. The crew chief had it dialed in. It just didn't 
were, it just wasn't, the card just wasn't dialed in right at the end. So I think he's, I, and also one of the interesting stats is it seems like he is, he's very on and off driver. Like 2012, he had a, he had a great year. 2013, he had a very poor year. He only won one race. 2014, he didn't win a championship, but he won a bunch of races. And then last year, he had kind of an off year. He only won one race. So if the stat, if the uh, trends continue, this year should be should be one for him to win a lot of races and contend for a championship. One of the things one of the things I noticed at the race was Austin was a strong run of Austin Dillon. That car that car was very good. They had a drive. They had a slow pit stop early in the race, which set him back. And then Austin sped on pit road, and that set him back. And then about halfway through the race, he'd worked his way pretty much back through the field. And then he got caught speeding again. And then, and then they made a, str a strategy call late, which got him, which got him into fifth place right at the end. Which uh, he doesn't, he hasn't ran this well in a while. This is certain, uh, this is certainly a good sign for the future for him. He's a fast driver. Just he seems like he's not a very mentally tough driver. He gets flust, he gets flustered very easily, and I think that's just going to come with experience. So that was definitely a good sign for him, and also the the Richard Childress Racing Group. They they didn't have a very good year last year, and already this year the cars are running better. Newman ran Newman ran very well last week, and Austin Dillon put in what I think is the strongest run of his career last week. And for the second week in a row, Kyle Larson had a very poor run. He was running outside the top 20, and in both races he was caught up in incidents. This a uh, I don't know, Kyle Larson, he's fast, but obviously what they're doing right now is not working. They, he had a great year in, in his debut season, 2014. He was the next big thing. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's, something's not clicking. He's just, he's not running as well as he should. He's not winning races. If he was, get, if he was gonna win the race, like whatever you're doing, whatever he's doing now, if it was gonna work, it would've worked by now. He's, he's in his third season. He's as fast as anybody. If, I, if I were him, I think I'd be thinking about switching teams pretty soon because clearly the Ganassi car is not up to standard, and they need the and they need they need he he needs something to lot to he needs he needs something to fire him up. I think a new t a new team would get it, would get him going and he could finally reach his potential because he's been. He's pretty much been one of the guys to beat in the Xfinity series. Whenever he runs those races, he runs very well. It's just he's not very he's not been doing well on Sunday. Chase Elliott has crashed has crashed out for the second time in three races. This was his strongest run of the year. He was running right around the top five the whole race and then got caught up in a crash. I think he's starting to feel the pressure because he spun out in the Daytona five hundred all on his own. And in this one, he probably could have avoided the incident, but he tried to blast through, and he was caught up in a crash. And if he, yeah, he, he's got the speed. It's just he hasn't really, sh he hasn't really shown what he's capable of in a cup car. He keeps getting involved in incidents, and he needs. And I think he just needs a few good runs, and he'll be able to get some momentum going, and that'll help. That'll help him out. So, and also, Jimmy Johnson, I think. I think the two the two contenders I seen this year, uh, Jimmy Johnson, won last won last the last race, and he and he led a bunch. This is his first dominant run he's had for a while. He led a bunch of laps on Sunday, and I think I think it could be a good omen for the future. I think he and Brad Keselowski are the guys to beat at the moment because Kevin Harvick, I don't that was he was he surprised everybody. He was struggling to hang inside the top ten even after leading all those laps at Atlanta. 
So I think I think Jimmy Johnson's back to back to his best after uh, after an off year last year. He won a bunch of races, but he didn't he didn't perform when it mattered. And it looks like he's definitely the lead Hendrick car. It seems like Elliott has has been able has been able to hang with him on pace, but he keeps crashing out. And, and Casey Kane, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. He's he's struggling at the moment. He's having okay runs. He's still the guy to beat on the plate races, but he's just week in week out. He's not where he needs to be. And then Casey Kane's not even the same zip code. Whatever they're doing is really not working. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to put the blame on Casey because he's a fast driver, but the team and the car is just not working. They need to reshuffle that very soon because they are really behind the power curve. And last weekend was the first round of the Pirelli World Challenge in this at Circuit of the Americas. I was in attendance for this race. It was a very good race. In the GT, in the GT classes, but the two guys who have, over the off season and become kind of have kind of isolated themselves as the favorites were Pat, Patrick Long and Johnny O'Connell. These two, Johnny O'Connell's the defending has is won the last four championships in a row, and Pat Long was the last guy to beat Johnny O'Connell in the championship, and this is his returning season, and he came out with a bang, qualifying on the pole and winning the first race, but he was involved in an incident on on the first. Not even he didn't even make it to the first corner of the second race before he was taken out. So that'll be fun. that'll be something to watch is him coming back coming back and making a, a recovery in this championship. I think that the Cadillacs established themselves as his main challenger. I believe Michael Cooper's in the lead of the championship because he finished he finished third and second on those two races and he'll be he's going to the defend he's the defending GTS champion and I think he's establishing himself as a guy who can challenge Johnny O'Connell. So the next race is in St. Pete. This is obviously a street course. I'd expect Pat, Pat Long's the guy to beat. He's been really, he was flying at Coda. And also, the, it's a tight street course. I expect the 911 because it's, it, it looked like probably the, mo, the more agile car there. I anticipate him being the guy to beat. And the guys who are going to be chasing him down are going to be J.D. Davison and Brian Heitkotter in the Nissan GTRs. Those were the guys who were the closest on pace challenging him. I think the Cadillacs were more consistent, so that's how they came up on t came out on top. So I think Pat Long, with effort racing, getting the new 911, they're gonna they're gonna be very tough to beat. Not just Pat Long, but also his teammate Michael Lewis. He showed he showed solid top five speed at Coda, and I anticipate him being there for the. Re I anticipate him him being just as fast. The con and but then again, there's gonna be a lot of guys who I'm not mentioning because this. This the PWC is as, is as competitive as it's ever been. There's really good. It's 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 competitive to the point of being a crapshoot. There's so many guys who could realistically win. There there's a lot of the clo the competition is close. The, there's performance balance to keep it all close together. I anticipate. I it looks like pretty much anybody who's running the top ten could win at some point in the season. And then also the GT the GTS class. They have new regulations that allow uh, the European GT4 cars. Those debuted, and they were very fast at Coda, despite... I I was expecting the older cars to do well at Coda with the long straights, the Camaros, the Mustangs, etc. But I think the uh, KTM Expo, 
that showed very good pace qualifying on the pole, and it's going to be tough to beat, especially on the street courses. And also the Janetta, that showed really good pace. It's a fast car. It, it could obviously roll speed through the corners a lot faster than the Mustangs. So I'm, expect, I'm anticipating that car being in contention for podiums week in, week out. And then, and then the TCB cars, it was, uh, the TC classes, it was just, it was standard. It was, it was, anybody who was in the top 10 could have won. It was a very competitive race. It looks like in uh, TC, it's going to be mostly the BMWs are going to be leading the way. Those cars were very fast. It was, it was their uh, North American debut for those cars. They're going to be, they ran very well. In TCA, it looks like it's going to be MX-5s versus Kia. There's one Kia that has that is a clear horsepower advantage, and it was able to, if it could get out front, it could control the pace through the corners and then leave the MX-5s on the straights. But the MX-5s ran really well, and this the championship battle in TCA is going to be really something to watch. And in TCB, it was just whoever, whoever got the lucky break at the end won. It was, it was just a pack of cars all passing each other. Uh, I think it was... And it was—it's going to be like that for the rest of the season, especially at Road America, where they can where they can draft each other. And also, while I was while I was there, I got to—I was lucky enough to interview Pat, Pat Long, Porsche factory driver, and he was the race winner on race one, racing at the uh, number 31 911 Porsche 911 for Effort Racing. Welcome back to Racing English. I'm with Porsche factory driver and today's winner, Patrick Long. Great job on the win today. You've been doing a lot of endurance racing over the past few years, and today was your return to the Pirelli World Challenge. What did you have to do differently in the sprint race as opposed to the endurance racing? Well, right off the get-go, going down into turn one, it's always difficult here at Austin, and it was clear to me that um, some of these guys knew that with ABS in the current GT3 format, you can really launch the car in there deep. Um, so I'll be more on my game tomorrow on the start and get my elbows up a little bit more, but past that, um, we push the cars just as hard in endurance racing as we did today in the sprint racing format. Um, there's a few different rules uh, that I had to get back up to speed and do my, my studying and talk to the race stewards, but uh, overall the job remains the same, and that is to get every bit out of the tire, every bit out of the car, but not to abuse uh, your equipment. It seemed like, I was watching the race, it seemed like for the most, for majority of the race, Height Carter and you were running about the same pace, and then once he got bought, once he got, you closed in, once he got by, you were able to pull away. I was, were you, were you hanging back just waiting to make a good move, or was, did his car fade, or your car came in right at the end? Well, I had a couple things on my mind. The first thing was to try and make a break from third and fourth place, because when you start dicing for the lead, you kind of invite the third and fourth place cars into the party. So I wanted to get away from them. I saw that we had a little more pace than they did, so I had to bide my time a little bit there. But I also knew over one lap that I didn't have the legs uh, on the on High Cotter. So I needed to wait till it was later in the race when he had more of a heat-soaked brake package and more worn tires. And then it was just a mental game of trying to wear him down. Okay. What do you, been, being a Porsche factory driver, you do a lot of racing with a lot of different teams. What are your plans for this year? My main priority is here in the Pirelli World Challenge with Effort Racing. I'll also be doing the WEC, the World Endurance Championship. Uh, there's a couple races that conflict, but uh, IMSA is also going to be part of my program uh, in the long races, so Sebring, Petite, and Daytona, which we did last month. You, are you, you're, going, you're running the full season and going for the championship in this series, correct? That's right. The championship is the only goal. Who do you think is going to be, I mean, I think the general consensus is that you're the favorite for the championship, but who do you think is going to be the, the guy to beat? 
Uh, I think there's a few. There's a lot of really good, fresh, young talent. Um, and then there's veterans like Johnny O'Connell. So I think the great thing about the Pirelli World Challenge is there's a diversity in the racetrack. So there's going to be weeks when it's our week, and there's going to be weeks when we're a sixth-place car. And the main thing is to keep your composure, keep putting points on the board. With two races every weekend, that means there's a lot of points up for grabs at the end of the year. So you need to be consistent, but it's also important for the motivation of my guys and my sponsors and for my own career that we put this thing on the top of the box every once in a while. But over the, the long term, the way I was able to win the championship in 2011 was to score week in and week out and, and know when to play your cards. Uh, it, I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot about performance balancing and how it affects the cars. Do you think that's going to play a role in how this championship plays out? Hopefully not. Um, I think that the ebb and flow of the different racetracks is going to highlight strengths and weaknesses from different manufacturers. There's a globalized view on the GT3 uh, championship with SRO and FIA, and I think that their style so far is to leave it for quite a few races, and if there's an egregious uh, amount of power or, or pace from one car, they may make a small adjustment, but they're not going to do this weekend, week out adjustment because it really takes the sporting element out of it and, and all you're waiting for is the news of BOP adjustments rather than watching teams and drivers excel and really utilize their equipment. Um, do, you think, do you think it's going to be kind of the same tomorrow? Do you think it's going to be the same story, the same people running up front? Or do you think with track conditions changing there might be some comers and goers, some people not really running as well, some people, some people running better than they did today? I expect Johnny O'Connell to be more of a factor tomorrow. Um, I also think James Davison probably has a little bit of a bruised ego after his teammate showed him the way today. So I think those guys have something to show. Um, it'll be a, certainly an interesting turn one. Um, but everybody's got through the first race relatively unscathed, and I think that that little bit of uh, self-control might be uh, less governed tomorrow. So it should be a wild race. Best of luck and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you for your time. I want to thank SPG Motorsports for the space. They, we're actually in one of their bays. And I want to apologize for the noise. There's, we're, in, we're doing this in a thunderstorm at the moment. So if you're rain, thunder, that's why. But we got my race car here. It's looking great. And thank you for watching.